0: So how can I have more intention, be more direct, be more forward, aggressive with my employer about, you no, know, what's best for me, not just what's best for you? And wow. I think we see our male colleagues taking that posture and it's serving them very well. And so I think as women executives and leaders, we have to find that balance. Um, how can we play like a woman because my success formula is, I think, unique in who I am.
1: Today I'm talking with Joy wilder libier CRO of Equifax. We're going to have a great conversation about leading through unprecedented economic and market conditions, outperforming your competition in an unpredictable market, and building and retaining a world-class sales organization. Joy, thank you so much for being here today. Awesome. I could not want to be anywhere else.
0: This has been on my mind the last few weeks since Aww. you asked me. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you being here today. Um, I was really excited when we got on the, the call because I, uh, you know, we're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that you're facing. We're going to really talk about some of the things that you're doing that I think are very unique and uh, things that, you know, should. Really make you proud. I know they make me proud being awesome. a client of yours. <laughs> um, but we also talked about uh, a few personal things about your life, too, that I'm going to be excited to talk about today. So it is an
0: intermingled story for yes, sure. Yes, <laughs> it really
1: is. So just to get started, I'd love for you to just talk to everyone who's listening a little bit about your journey, what you do at Equifax, um, and just what that that path looks like for you, and, and just some of, yeah, like. Tell us about Joy. Awesome. So um, I was a liberal arts major,
0: Did had no idea what I wanted to do, right? Oh, and like someone me. gave me a chance. And I think you and I will talk about over that over the next little bit, giving people chances. So I got a chance right out of school, had no idea what I could do, uh, what working for a bank really meant, Um And a couple of years in, they said, you know, uh, we know you know nothing about this, but uh, we think you're smart enough to learn. And that um, appointment as an analyst in their strategy organization really set the course for most of my professional life. Um, So served at SunTrust for many, many years, 25 years uh, in 2008, when it wasn't a great time to be a banker, if you'll recall, mm, uh, yeah, we all. Knew I that. made my way to the other side of the desk um, at Equifax, uh, ran their financial services business, and then got that call a few years in when someone said, "We need you to reinvent yourself and run our partnership organization." Wow, um, I cried in the crown room when I got that call. <laughs> I'm like, "I'm a banker. What do you mean not run financial services?" Um, But I probably learned at age 50 more than I'd ever learned in my professional career. Uh, All about resellers, um, generating revenue through others. So a fantastic time of learning uh, a little bit later uh, in my career. Uh, And then a few years ago, was appointed as our chief revenue officer in the U.S. business. And I've served on our company's executive team and had the privilege of working uh, across all lines of business, not just of financial services, but all of our verticals. Uh, so having a, a great, great time of it. You know, I thought I had reached the pinnacle of my career in February of 2020, um, being appointed as a chief revenue officer. And oh boy. in March of 2020, we all yeah. know what happened. And I looked at my financial statements and it said, we're forecasting you to be $150 million off your number. <laughs> 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 okay. This little higher performer from, you know, first grade had never missed a number. Um, So that was quite interesting learning to what that meant to lead through change and really reinvent ourselves right at the beginning of being the CRO.
1: I know. I think that's just unbelievable. So I want to delve a little bit into that. Um, I remember. It was actually Friday, March 13th. How ironic. Yes. That's the day. And we were still sitting here at Sales Globe saying, Hmm, do we have people come back? Mm-hmm. Do we not? Right? Because I'm like, We cannot. I'm talking to my business partner and I'm saying, No, we can't have people come in. And he's saying, This is overblown. <laughs> I'm saying, No, we cannot have people come in. Let's just give them a week. Little did we know exactly. a week would be well over a year, right? It was just unbelievable. Um, So tell me what that was like for you. I mean, what were you thinking when, you know, suddenly it was the pandemic, suddenly you were at home, new team, new role, lots of responsibility, forecast numbers now really off. What were you thinking about how you were going to lead a team through this? So, Um, Maybe
0: as I intimated uh, right from the start, much of success in business and in my professional life is about a reinventing. Mm -hmm. I have reinvented myself professionally and personally, by the way, a time or two. And in March of 2020, it was about reinventing. Um, Reinventing the solutions on our side of the business to meet the problems of the day. And so if you think about it, a hairdryer does a perfect styling job, but I can also use it to blow leaves off the patio, right? (laughs) And so we had to turn that proverbial hairdryer from a styling tool to a leaf blower. And all of our solutions and the value that we're bringing to the market, how do we reinvent that to be pointed to the real challenges that our industry was
1: facing Uh, during those early days. Yeah, so the first thing you did was look at how your client's needs were changing. Exactly. And then what you needed to do to reinvent. So let me ask you this, Joy. I would think that that can be challenging for your your team, right? Now, we know we're doing this, now we're doing that. And how did you really work with your team to help them see that vision? Sure. Uh, My watchword uh, in
0: times of change really are two um one is pivot the importance of pivoting and how do we pivot Um, it, it it really goes back to a fundamental truth that many sales professionals can always get behind right which is helping our customers solving their problems what are the new problems what are the new use cases Okay, we have to pivot to that. And pivoting doesn't mean a 360-degree change in many instances, right? It's 10 degrees to the right. Yeah. Okay, we're marching 10 degrees to the right. Instead of loans right now and helping lenders make lending decisions, guess what? We're helping them gather deposits, right? So learning to pivot and learning to avoid hesitating. Sometimes Mm. we pause, right? Who's been in a global pandemic? who's been in a looming recessionary um, situation before in their yeah. career. And so we want to pause. We want to wait and see. Um, I work with the teams to understand that's really the death knell <laughs> of a sales organization. No pausing, mm-hmm. no breathing, continuing the pace of change and the urgency that we have around the business to help our clients.
1: You know, that's really interesting that you you mentioned that, not pausing because Uh, Same thing happened with us, you know, at our our consultancy. All of a sudden, all these different jobs that we had, the jobs that we had lined up, consulting engagements we were putting hold on on budgets, right? Putting hold on budgets, right? In fact, we were starting a new initiative with with Equifax at that time. You all did move ahead uh, because you knew you could not pause. But there were some and they were put on hold and, you know, our people, our sales capacity, right? So they're out that we, we, well, there are consulting capacity, I should say. So we placed them on these jobs. And we basically pivoted immediately and we started having weekly conversations. You know, uh, we started video conferencing with C-level executives and others, um, management teams, just to get them on the phone to talk about what was going on. Nobody really knew what was going on and how that was gonna impact their business. So our first pivot was shifting from selling advisory consulting to helping people understand what was going on, what they needed to do to adapt to the changing environment. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that um, we know that you are responsible for is leading transformational change and revenue growth for both your business and your clients. So, transformational change, and you've got to grow revenue. And, uh, you know, let's let's face it, the economic headwinds for this year are, are a little rough, you know, although some of the financial services sector is doing well, banking is doing well with interest rates and other things, but people are kind of holding back. So, what, how do you, what's your number one priority? Let's put it that way. Number one priority, and area of focus as you think about, I've got to grow revenue and… I have got to continue to lead a transformational change of our business to meet our clients' needs and solve their problems.
0: I suspect that my answer is um, maybe less intuitive for some, right? Because I could say, based on our previous conversation, products, value prop, innovation, technology capabilities, uh, those are important But for me, the number one priority is talent. Hmm. Over and over and over again, I have learned that it is my secret weapon. And so understanding um, how I continue to upgrade my talent. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty tough, right? We have to constantly make sure that everyone on the team is achieving the objectives that we've set forth for the organization. And also to make sure that the capabilities, the competencies that we have uh, on the team are right for the work. And the digital IQ, as an example of the team today, needs to be much higher than it needed to be just 18 months prior. Uh, So I'm constantly retooling, right, to make sure that the competency set we have is what the market um, needs And maybe the last thing I would observe is um, constantly focusing on my reputation as not only an importer of talent, but an exporter of talent.
1: Oh, interesting. And the
0: way that I import great talent Mm -hmm. is two things, to show no matter what, your development is my top priority, and that I'm going to help you achieve success, even if that means
1: moving to another part of the organization or even outside the company. You know, that's um, that's another really interesting concept. So I know that I also have that same position. And what I what I have observed is that it's actually better and that people within the organization, if you do have, you know, someone that's just not really going to make it or someone that can't pull the weight along with the team, in the end, they respect you for making that decision. I have found that. Because sometimes you have to make pretty tough calls. Okay, so talking about talent, let's talk about sales talent. Now, as we know, particularly since the pandemic, we know that sales has changed dramatically. And we believe that the pandemic kind of pushed forward a lot of things, especially when it comes to technology. Like three to five years faster yes. than it was expected. Things like, you know, video conferencing have become the norm and very affordable. Do you remember in the day when it was really expensive, you know, to have those big <laughs> video conference televisions? So with sales talent today, what is it that you look for and what is it that people need to be thinking about leaders as they're sourcing talent in the future?
0: I go for the raw goods, Michelle. Looking for athletes. Uh, I always am rewarded when I'm uh, bringing on someone who has the raw capabilities. They may not know our business. They may not know data and technology sales, right? But um, they have a nose for money. They have the drive. They have the critical thinking skills that I need, the problem-solving skills that might have been deployed in other ways. And they have the discipline Love it when I find someone who has the the marathon runner, right, or uh, experience as an a, a, literally a physical athlete um, in their past, right? Because they know the discipline that is required to achieve a goal.
1: You know what's really interesting to me? Uh, I have I know a couple of uh, partners in consulting firms, but they're responsible for sales. And I know other people, like at the the CEO level, and or sorry, chief sales officer level. And they were athletes. There's someone that was actually a professional figure skater. I know a competitive lacrosse player, like he was on some international circuit for lacrosse. And I never thought about that before. But sometimes athletes, well, a lot of times athletes, they make good salespeople, don't they?
0: So um, speaking of some, from someone who doesn't have a, an athletic bone in her body, <laughs> I have four amazing athletic children, um, but I was the one in first grade when they said, read a book a day, that I took that literally, and I'm reading chapter books a day. Wow. And the teacher called the house and said, she can't be reading this book. It's 250 pages. She can't read that in a night. And my mom said, yes, she is, because you told her to read a book a day. <laughs> that, that's the goal. She's going to achieve the goal. Wow. So maybe it doesn't always uh, manifest itself in the physical realm, but um, sometimes it does.
1: So what has changed in what you look for in sales talent today from maybe 10 years ago or five years ago? Well... I think those, you
0: know, looking for the fundamental competencies, I would say that that's um, still true, but um, I think the, the digital IQ comment mm-hmm. that I made before yep. is quite relevant. Yeah. Um, I often um, observed to the team that many years ago we could rely on relationships, yeah. relationship selling, relationship building. That large financial service organization is buying us because, you know, they've known Tom a long time and Todd, they can trust Tom and, you know, Tom has been their account manager forever. Mm -hmm. No, I call that the pretty please business. Um, Okay, Mm. large bank, buy from us because Tom is so wonderful, right? Because Tom says, please. Um, That doesn't work anymore, right? We have to have individuals who can have a thorough command of the ever-changing value proposition that our firm brings to the marketplace being able to articulate that combine not only data but analytics and technology solutions how they consume our insights um, and our teammates have to do that pretty fast wow. right yeah. you have to be on your game and and have that strong command of where we can bring value to our comp to your company Mm -hmm. and you have to be first at doing that there are a lot of competitors in our space right so we have to be first to market and we have to have that compelling value proposition that makes the companies that you observed who are tightening their belts feel fiscally irresponsible if they don't move forward with our solutions
1: oh that's really interesting and very well said um Let me just ask you this other question, which is, you mentioned a lot about digital IQ and being able to, I I would think, as you're solving problems for clients, having more information about them, being able to decipher the analytics, what is it saying about your clients or prospective clients? Do you find that, are you supporting your team, sales, frontline sales, with people that are providing that level of of help to them, like are you looking at more business intelligence analytical support, or are they learning that themselves, or how's how's that? It's work? a combination. Okay, so um,
0: we uh, many of our teammates we call them the account team organization, right? Okay. They should be the foremost authority on their customer, mm-hmm. and they're using public information and. Uh, other sources to make sure that they understand not only, of course, the financials and the organizational structures and the leadership team, but also how that organization makes money, how they make decisions, the power bases, the buying centers, they're the foremost authority on the account. And they have responsibility for doing that. Um, As it Relates to how our solutions add value to that customer. We have pre-sale analytic teams Mm -hmm. and other groups who are helping build that value story and the ROI that is needed in a very analytic or fact-based way uh, from a prospective buyer to make those multi-million-dollar decisions.
1: Okay, that's very um, insightful because one of the things that we're finding, Joy, you know, in our consulting work. We are being asked a lot to focus on their sales structure. And what people are finding is that their current sales organization structure and the roles that they have may not be meeting the needs that, they, that they're now facing with their clients and what their clients are asking, their customers are asking them for. So I appreciate that insight. And, and I would say to my
0: peers, don't hesitate. Don't be afraid to change. Uh, We rolled out a very comprehensive model just a couple of years ago. I already need to tweak it, right? The market is changing, and the level and type of resources that I needed just a couple of years ago are, in fact, a little different than I suspected.
1: So one of the big things that you said, I'm going to go back to your word, pivot. Um, Just because you put something in place, an organization, sales structure, roles, responsibilities, doesn't mean that. You have to stick with that just because what you're doing is you're constantly, what I'm hearing you say is you're continuously looking at how the market is changing, how your customer needs Absolutely. are changing, and adapting your organization And to there's that. a trick
0: to that, right, yeah. in terms of internal positioning with our teammates. It's not, oh, we were totally wrong, <laughs> and so forget what we told you. Now, you know, go right instead of left. Also, in terms of managing up, yep. we don't say, oh, boy, we messed that up. Let's do something else. It's how are we evolving? Mm -hmm. How are we responding and tweaking and continuing to evolve over time? How we go to market? Because the market is changing and our customers are changing. So we have to respond to that.
1: So let me ask you something. As a leader, how are you managing and leading your team in this challenging sales environment? Because let's face it, it is.
0: So uh, maybe this is intuitive. <laughs> Don't start leading when times get challenging, right? I have to have built a basis of trust and engagement and relationship with the team uh, long before mm. times get tough. Yeah. And so I have to be trustworthy, be motivating, uh, be helpful long before we're in unfortunate waters. Uh, And so I think the basis of trust is helping an individual, demonstrating to an individual or a team that they can count on me, that I have their back, that I advocate on their behalf, that I solve the problems that are a little trickier uh, than they can solve on their own, and that I'm going to be there on the field as long as they are.
1: So we hear time and time again, you have to gain the trust of your people. We're touching on that. And a company has to gain the trust of their clients and prospects, right, of your customers, from trusted advisor, trusted leader. Um, I want to get your your take on that and how you get the, we talked a little bit about how you get the trust of your team. So, how do you get the trust of your customers? So,
0: <clears throat> it really goes hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. And right now, um, Equifax has is at the end of a massive technology transformation, mm-hmm. right? One point five billion dollars of spend over the last few years to move from legacy infrastructure to all cloud native infrastructure. Mm-hmm. There are bumps in that path, right? And sometimes, unfortunately, our clients feel those bumps. And that begins to erode trust. Mm -hmm. And so uh, working with our teammates to understand how they support the narrative of the organization, have the confidence in the end game and where we're going, and be able to work with their customers to understand it's never our intent to put them in harm's way, right? And that we act quickly when we have bumps in the night and that they can count on us to be responsive and deliver. And it's really a pattern of behavior, right? Everyone knows that accidents happen in business. Mistakes are made in business. It's how we respond. We've always all been raised to understand that. But putting that into practice and helping the team have the confidence in the end game. The last few years have been a little draining, Uh, can be wearisome to a team. So how, as leaders, do we help them maintain their confidence Mm -hmm. in where we're going? Um, I've been studying the the notion of confidence uh, the last uh, couple of weeks. I was in a meeting with the team, and there was a bump in the night, and we had an elegant solution to fix it. And one of my leaders said, well, I'm not quite sure I can get behind that because we have to execute flawlessly. Hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, he doesn't have the confidence that we can do it. Mm-hmm. And that is a, another, that's quite problematic mm-hmm. for a sales organization. And it, as a leader, it's my responsibility to give them the fact base um, that they need to have the confidence in our organization and our ability to
1: deliver. So your role is really being a very good communicator, a facilitator, a communicator, <laughs> psychologist it's not just all about the numbers, is it? I mean, so me uh, I'm a little bit of a whiz when it comes
0: to numbers, oh, but you yeah, know what? My yeah. more important um, skill set I think is in the area of communications to your point. Mm-hmm. Um I was an English major. I think I stu- I learn to problem solve and analyze situations with my analysis of literature Mm -hmm. when I was very young. Um, So it's not just engineers. It takes a village, right? Sometimes it takes those of us who are focusing on communication and relationships and people and talent, putting all that together, right, to inspire the team to go where we need to.
1: Yep. Okay, so as the CRO, your goal is much greater than what an individual can achieve, right? So you got a big number. You have more than just a big number, though. It's like by product, by service. You know, there's a lot of complexity in what it is that you're asked to achieve. So how do you get the sales organization to focus on the bigger picture and understand, you know, they're part of a whole, even though they're after their own number? So we really don't win unless we all win, Mm -hmm.
0: and um, so the bigger number, Joy's—we call it Joy's number. (laughs) Okay, ultimately, Joy's number is the number, right? And how do you get people to care about Joy's number? That's the thing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I remember my early, early days when I had it. Had a P&L for the first time. Mm-hmm. And learning that just because I was the leader and it said that on the name tag on the nameplate on my door, that didn't make me the leader. Mm-hmm. It was when the branch manager called me on the phone and said, You know, I've made my number. It's 1227. It's at the end of the year. I've made my number. What do I need to do to make sure you meet yours? Oh, right. So wow. yep. it's looking. Uh, over your shoulder and seeing followers and having people enrolled in the larger vision mm-hmm. um, and knowing that we win when joy's number is covered that means if some people are struggling on their team's number that those who are uh, reaching more success are going to over function when one of the teammates is under functioning so another way to help a sales organization get on board with the larger goal, mm-hmm. first, of course, helping to them to see how their portion fits into the greater good, but also helping them understand how they can be successful with their own goal. And sometimes low-performing teams, when they're you know at the bottom of their performance and looking at that very tall climb... It's over, it can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I remember a strong lesson that I have deployed ever since learned many years ago is the power of breaking it down. Hmm. If a team's goal is 10 and they're at zero, for me to say, do 10, do 10, <laughs> right? It's, it's overwhelming. So if a, go- if a team is at zero, I can say, do one. And what do you want to happen if you achieve one? Mm-hmm. Well, it would be nice to have an extra day off. Or it would be nice to work from home. Or it would be nice to have lunch brought in. Hmm. Awesome. Do one. Next week, what do we think we can do? How about two? Do two. What would be nice to, to uh, reward? Getting to two. All the while, I know I need them at 10x of that, mm-hmm. right? But breaking down the goal into a lower number, and also breaking down the time. We think of an annual goal. Um, I never forget when my boss, a few bosses back said, Joy, you're kind of behind. What are you doing? Huh. And I said, I've never missed. I'm not going <laughs> to miss. It's not 1231 yet. I'm going to get there by 1231. He said, Joy, last time I checked, we were a publicly held company. You have to meet it every quarter. And it's that same notion, right? For a Mm -hmm. team that's struggling to perform, we want to say, wow, do one. But what can you do this week? Mm -hmm. I've even had power hours for inside selling organizations. What can you do this hour? Let's agree on that. So breaking down the goal, but shortening the time.
1: Breaking down the goal, shortening the time. And you said a third thing. That you didn't really say, which is reward. The reward. Yeah. Yeah. You Great. said it. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you could pick, let's talk about efficiency. If you could pick one thing to drive efficiency and successful outcomes of your team, what would that be? So, um, <clears throat> The
0: notion of helpfulness is really not a notion that is embraced Mm. by corporate America in my observation. And so when we're talking to the team about efficiency and success, it's counterintuitive to ask for help. Mm. That's taking time. Why do I want to plan a session with another team to understand how they're doing or what they've seen in the past, or how they might be able to help me. In fact, that is the most efficient answer because when we're working together, right, we come together more quickly and we are able to scale successes that people have had in other teams or in other organizations. Um, And so I really require helpfulness, Mm -hmm. in fact. um, And when I figured out that this is not intuitive for everyone to be helpful mm, right. or to receive help or to ask for help, um, we we actually talked about it. What does helpfulness look like? Why is it so important? Why is it so important for the team for you to ask for help or receive it? Um, and now it's pretty much a part of our
1: DNA. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and that helps us be more efficient and effective. I think that's great. And that is counterintuitive to what you hear in corporate. Um, So I think that's really an incredible thing for people to think about. Don't go it alone, right? Do not go it alone. You know, when I think about people that I hire, I look for people that are more talented than I am. Some people will say, that's not so hard to do, Michelle, but whatever. Anyway, (laughs) the reality is um, we also as a firm, I believe that we're better firm and provide better answers by asking each other for help and leveraging the strengths that other people have to offer. So I love that that's one of your, I would call it maybe a secret sauce to your success. So building a high
0: performing team is about curating a Mm. divorce portfolio of resources. Mm -hmm. So we can draw on, um, A team whose complexion is quite varied and I'd love your take on this it isn't diversity for diversity's sake Mm -hmm. it is uh, building that puzzle so the puzzle pieces have to fit right we have to share a common commitment to a unique culture that we're all building so we have to have an affinity yeah, the puzzle pieces have to align and have an affinity toward the common goal and how we want to operate as yep. a team. And so, yes, I seek um, a diverse leadership team with different competencies being brought to the table, and yet we must share a common goal.
1: Yes, I completely agree with that. Um, we all want to have you know that diverse team to bring different thinking in, but you've got to be aligned around what that mission and vision is. So tell me, how do you do that?
0: I had a teammate the other day say, when I said, come on, need a little more chutzpah. You need to be a baddie. And she's like, that's not my style. I'm, I'm not a baddie. I'm like, you are in your own way. It doesn't look like how joy interprets that that right. expression. Right, we don't all have to be Energizer bunnies, right. right? But we have to have that same drive. Yes, it's the revenue organization. Yes. <laughs> yes, we have to have a bias and a drive that is pretty relentless. Right, I'm not looking for. I'm not a GM technically. Yeah, right. I do have to manage our expenses and understand cogs and make sure that my cost of sales is appropriate. Yep. But at the end of the day, I'm the one that has to be have a strong bias for top line and I need people
1: on board and sales leaders who share that obsession. Yes. Yep. So it sounds like you really love your job. Let me ask you something. Is there something in your life that you practice and remind yourself of each day. I mean, I you're um, very accomplished woman, very demanding job, very big team, a uh, very diverse work that you do. And we won't even we haven't even talked about all the writing and speaking and all the other things that you do. But is there something that you kind of remind yourself of every day?
0: Well, I do um, ask the good Lord for capacity every day. I shared with you, Michelle, uh, as we were getting to know each other better, that I became a single mom uh, with four young children mid-career, had a big girl job, had four children at home. I was their exclusive provider. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I had to operate on all cylinders. My inclination was to Pull out the Wonder Woman cape. Mm-hmm. When I overfunction, it doesn't it doesn't go well, right? <laughs> and so I do have a, a strong spiritual life, and I do literally pray for that capacity every day, so that joy can be more than my my human limitations
1: uh, will allow. That's pretty that amazing. Yeah, that does make sense. It's pretty amazing, Joy. I wasn't going to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you this right now. I want to delve a little bit more into your faith. Sure. Because when I was reading on your LinkedIn, you know, you're, it was, what are they, door openers? Door openers? What's door holder. That? Door holder. Okay. So you're a door holder. I didn't even know what that was. And then I explored that a little bit further, and then we had a conversation around it. And the reason I wanted to talk about that is because you said something that really resonated with me. There's something that you get involved in that kind of helps set your path for the year even. Um, we're part of something bigger. So talk to me a little bit about what it is that you do. Awesome. So, um
0: the expression door holder uh-huh. is a more meaningful term to describe someone who is giving of themselves. And in my faith journey, I serve as a door holder. In this instance, you're referencing my participation in a conference every at the beginning of every year where as many as 50,000 students between the ages of 18 and 25 gather to explore their own faith journey. So I'm there supporting uh, the participants with resources, with T-shirts and uh, books and journals to help them explore their own uh, faith journey. I like to think that the term door holder, though, is who joy is no matter the realm Mm -hmm. I seek to open the door and to hold the door for my teammates in a professional context, in a personal context. I have a large family, as I've shared. And so joy is the door holder. How do I help you achieve your professional best? And at the end of the day, my legacy will be about my people, my people at Equifax how I have achieved, um, how I have helped them achieve their best, um, that's what's going to ultimately matter. Uh, I think I shared with you that my parents chose my name for a reason. And boy, it's a tall bar to live up to, yeah. um, being Joy, and my... Faith journey is really how I do that. Corporate America can be brutal. Yeah. Um, And I survive and thrive because I seek to be joy
1: every day. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that story. So now we're going to get back to business. Awesome. And we're going to talk about three things. All right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brain. If you could pick three things that a sales leader can do right now to make a difference in their sales organization, what would that be? Okay, I'm going to refer to my notes. My three things. Yeah, I made you distill it down to three, which was very difficult.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would say um, making sure that the team. Has the tools they need to be successful? Yeah, that's at the end one. of the day. Back to being door holders, we're enablers. My team needs to have the tools uh, available to them to be successful. For yeah. example, the pre-sales analytics that we talked about, the ROI calculators, the value story. Mm-hmm. I need to be working with product and marketing and our analytic consulting organization to make sure that they're equipped to be successful. Otherwise, they're in the pretty please business, like we talked about, right? Um, Number two, operationalize routines Mm -hmm. so that it is not being recreated every single time we make a sale Mm -hmm. or have a a certain motion. Uh, For example, uh, we typically describe the process from lead to contract, and then from contract to cash. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. I have to be involved all the way from lead to cash. If it's not cash, it's money, funny money Mm -hmm. on paper. So how can we operationalize the routines, either in legal or in our operations group or in fulfillment or in technology, so that it's more turnkey, more repetitive? And number three... um, may be counterintuitive, act on performance deficiencies that are around them. Hmm. No one likes to be on a team where there's mediocrity Mm -hmm. or there's mediocrity that is allowed or rationalized or worked around. So in fairness to you, Michelle, I have to work on Jane's inefficiencies Mm -hmm. or lack of competency Because it starts undermining what Michelle can achieve.
1: Yep. The CRO. It's currently one of the most sought-after careers in large companies. I mean, it just happens to be also one of the roles with the highest turnover. And these are, are good stats. So the average CRO, I know they last about two years in the job. And it's not so much that people are fired, they leave. So what we're finding—it's a voluntary turnover. Um, you've been with Equifax for 15 years. You've been in your role over three years. So you're already beating the odds, <laughs> right? We already figured that that one out. Tell me, what does it take success to be successful in your role? And really, I want you to think about too, like how your CEO, how your leader, and that executive team needs to and can help you set yourself up for success in that role.
0: So in my next life, I'm coming back as an author of a book entitled Being a a Great CRO, How to Be the Boss When You're Not. Oh, that's How to Be the Boss When You're Not. Mm -hmm. Being successful in the CRO position means... Leveraging your influencing competency mm-hmm. to the utmost. I need product. I need tech. I need operations. I need marketing. All of those functions, functioning and delivering, or I'm not successful. Mm-hmm. And while CRO positions are defined in many different ways, yes. it's quite, as you mentioned, it's it's quite um, fashionable right now to be a CRO Mm -hmm. yes it is (laughs) be careful what you ask for (laughs) Um, but all I have to be the boss even though I'm not of all of those organizations I have to figure out the compelling vision that allows me to enroll my peers Mm -hmm. and their team into what we're trying to do and that's not always easy and so it's a glamour title it's not a glamour position. Yeah. It can be very draining. And it it has been, honestly, Michelle, so very draining uh, in the last couple of years, which gets me to the answer to your second question, which was, so what can the CEO do? What can the executive team do to enable uh, success? It's pretty simple. Um, it is, it is remembering that even though the numbers are king and I must perform every week and every month and, of course, every quarter, um, that sometimes lack of performance isn't a reflection on just one leader or her team. It's the reflection of how we've prioritized resources, Mm -hmm. the choices that we made as an organization, um, and really playing that enabling role that even a CRO needs, incorporating helpfulness into their construct. I have a new boss. I'm thrilled, thrilled with uh, knowing Todd just a few weeks. The first time I met him, in 10 minutes, he asked me, how can I help you?
1: Oh, fantastic. Wow.
0: That showed me what it was going to be like to work for him. And something as simple as having my back, advocating for me, covering, knowing that his being helpful is really all
1: I need. So that helpfulness, again, uh, this is the second time that's come out. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Now, how does... A C level, right? How does a president or a CEO, how do they choose a great CRO? They are decided they want to have that role, that that big role in the company now. So what is it that they should be looking for?
0: I think the ideal CRO is that pretty rare combination of head and heart. Hmm. Head, it's all about the money. <laughs> Revenue is in the title right? Mm-hmm. So we have to have the business acumen, the financial savvy, uh, the nose for money, the ability to manage a very complex organization in many instances. That's the head. The heart, we've also talked about it being so much about the people, mm-hmm. enrolling others in a vision, being able to paint a picture of a destination that people want to go to and to help control the narrative when times get tough, and they do, and they always have. And so my people know, even when I'm tough, I'm never leaving the field. I will roll up my sleeves. I will run the photocopier. I will go anywhere for them and with them. And the number's the number. And so you want that combination of skills, I think, as you're looking for the CRO. I do think um, absolutely that influencing competency, the experience to have worked in a matrix organization, um, is almost the most fundamental.
1: All right, so there's a pattern that we see and that... um sales leaders fall into, and that is that salespeople that are the highest performing salespeople are the ones that are often promoted into management. And that may or may not be, many times we see it fails. You know, it may not be the best choice in the end. So, when you think about um, hiring a sales manager, one of the big traps that we've seen, Joy, it, in our work is that that individual contributor now going into management he or she still wants to go after the number, right? And maybe they're not coaching and developing their team the way they need to. How do you understand when to promote someone from, you know, that top salesperson into a management type of, of, you know, situation and what that looks like? And when do you not? So as executives, we have to really
0: move away from this binary construct. Mm -hmm. I'm a great sales professional, and so the only way for me to continue to take on more responsibility and make more money and meet my financial goals is to be the boss of the people I used to be. Mm -hmm. That binary construct really doesn't provide mobility and forward movement financially to an individual who may be a terrible manager of others. Mm -hmm. And so, that's the challenge I would put out there for people like me. Fig- figure, out, figure that out. Um, unfortunately, all too often, we promote someone into a managerial role, and we only find out after the fact that, boy, that wasn't a very great <laughs> idea. Yeah. It's sort of like in our lives we think people who marry are going to be great parents. <laughs> well, first of all, people who marry are going to be great spouses. <laughs> no, you have to learn how to do that. You're going to be a great parent. No, you have to learn how to do that. And so affording teammates who do have a true interest in managing and leading teams, affording them that development track so they can test their hypothesis that this is what they're going to be great at and that's what they want to do, and also allow us to see the the teammate with training wheels. On before we take them off, and they're riding the bike and running a big organization. In fact, they would have been a fantastic Uber sales professional,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, not a manager. The story that I use to remind myself of this conundrum—I'm um, bad at sports analogies, but <laughs> I was—I um, was exposed. At one time in my career, to an individual who was arguably the best kicking coach in the entire NFL. Wow. And guess what? He was exclusively in a wheelchair. Wow. So he was never the kicker. Mm-hmm. He was the great kicking coach. So we don't have to be the great, greatest sales professional to be the great leader. And when we are the great professional, that doesn't automatically mean that we're the best sales leader.
1: I would say that's a pretty darn good analogy, Joy. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. So what is it about the job of a CRO that people don't think about? And so if they're thinking about it, what would you want them to know? Well... The job is more about people
0: than than some professionals in other parts of the organization might know. And at the end of the day, the legacy of a chief revenue officer, to me, is the extent to which they raised great, high-performing uh, sales individuals. So with, back to your, hmm... It's communication, it's enrolling (laughs) others, it's having a nose for talent, it's helping people see the vision of where we're going. It's more about that than me driving a product agenda or an innovation um,
1: value within the team. It's about the team. Okay, I got to ask you this question. You are all over social media. You are attending events. You're traveling all the time. You're writing. You took time for this podcast today. Your organization is very big (laughs) that you're running. It's not a little organization. How do you do it? Oh, and I forgot. You got a personal life. (laughs) If I'm not mistaken, you've got a couple of grandkids on the way. Yes, yes. Like how exciting. And you've got... Six kids, actually. Right. right? I mean, there's six kids, soon to be five grandkids. Unbelievable.
0: Yes. And I know. So remember the prayer for capacity. Yes. Um, I also learned early on that joy didn't need a lot of personal time. Many of you who are the parent of several children, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) You don't eat in the early days (laughs) without someone in your lap. You may not even use the restroom or take a shower alone, right? <laughs> you don't have a need for a lot of personal time. Um, I am bored pretty quickly. And so I love a full life. And luckily, Chris Liber loves a full life too. <laughs> so we cram it in. And um, that that gives me a lot of satisfaction.
1: That's great. All right. So trust, authenticity, People say they go hand in hand. Um, I would say maybe you have to have both, but they're two very different things. I want to get your take on trust, authenticity, at work. Yes,
0: for me, authenticity is a part of my trust formula. Okay. And I I can see the exact moment that that life lesson um, hit home. I was at the Disney Institute, on a stage, speaking to a 1,000 teammates when I was um, at Truist, and I shared a story. Hmm. I shared the fact that I came into the new role and they fell in love with me at a time when my then-husband was falling out of love with me, and how my relationship with them as teammates and building that trust relationship came at the exact right time. And so speaking to the audience as a new single mom with four children, 70% of my workforce when I ran retail banking for the organization was women. At least half of those women were hourly teammates who were single providers, And my willingness to share that journey that I was experiencing really helped me connect with them. And I didn't even really know the power of it Mm -hmm. at the time. And since then, I am my authentic self at work. Of course, sometimes people use that as a as a way to excuse inappropriate behavior, you know, and I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to say this happened in my work life. I had a problem with this or that. This is happening in my personal life. Again, not over disclosing, but just showing your your humanness and your realness and your frailties. Sometimes our frailties are what makes us strong. And people know
1: that and appreciate you exposing that to them. You know, it's funny you use the word vulnerable because that's the word that came to my mind as you were talking. I'm like, wow, you got to show some vulnerability. And equally so, Joy, you have to be very brave. Takes bravery, so. Seeming weak is really brave. Yeah. Okay, so are you game to play game? Perfect. Hit me. All right. So let's imagine... Here you are, uh, let's imagine it's 20 years ago or so, and you have all the knowledge that you have amassed today, then. Is there something, personally, professionally, whatever it is, that you may do differently or you would say, you know, a lot of people say, what would you tell your younger self? What is it that you would do differently and why? So part of
0: what makes joy joy and hopefully pretty effective is my servant mindset that servant mindset should be deployed with my team how am i enabling them perhaps had if i could do it d- differently mm-hmm. i wouldn't take that same servant mindset with my employer meaning At age 22, show up. What do you need me to do? How can I grow? How can I contribute? I just want more responsibility, and I want to make more money. That's all. So I didn't have really a career path in mind, Mm -hmm. and I didn't intentionally manage my career, even into my 50s. It's always been about how can I serve you? corporate America, you know, how can I help my organization deliver to its shareholders? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that has always served me personally. Um, I love Gail Evans. Gail is a distinguished business executive and author. She wrote the book, Play Like a Man, Win Like a Woman. And so, to be frank, Michelle, I don't know if men come to work every day and say, let me serve this company, hmm, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know that that ultimately served me in my career. So how can I have more intention, be more direct, be more forward, aggressive with my employer about, you no, know, what's best for me, not just what's best for you? And wow. I think we see our male colleagues taking that posture and it's serving them very well and so i think as women executives and leaders we have to find that balance Um, how can we play like a woman because my success formula is i think unique in who i am and yes i identify as female and that's a part of how i do it right how do i claim that and use it for my good and for my company's good um, and manage the degree to which that sometimes puts me at a disadvantage.
1: That's what I change. Wow. Great answer. Um, Thanks so much, Joy, for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. This has been so insightful. I learned a few things. You reached my heart, actually, Um, and I really thank you for being here. Well, I've loved it,
0: and um, we're uh, driving that big wheel. We're riding that big wheel. Yes, we are. Um, Every day.